0: You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery.
1: You're listening to Talking Biotech, the weekly podcast illuminating issues in agriculture and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are answered using a science-based approach with the goal of driving innovation to application with communication. Now here's your host. Dr.
3: Paul Vincelli. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we bring science and technology to our listeners with a focus on biotechnology in ways that uh, both help the world uh, and people. My name is Paul Vincelli. I'm sitting in for Dr. Kevin Folta. And we have a guest here from south of the equator. Cecilia Gonzalez, a biotechnology educator from the Bolivian Institute of International Commerce here in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And so welcome to the program, Cecilia.
2: Well, uh, glad to join uh, this podcast. I've heard it's quite famous. <laughs> I haven't had the chance to listen many of them because, well, you're doing such a great job in, in English. And uh, because I have to catch up a lot of things in Spanish, uh, sometimes I'm left without uh, time. And it's a pleasure to have you here, Paul. Uh, it's a pleasure to greet all your listeners as well. Well,
3: thank you so much. Yeah, I am, and uh, for listeners, I'm here for uh, a four day visit uh, with uh, lectures on biotechnology and. Uh, and uh, visits with scientists here in Bolivia and and uh, frankly they have a wonderful biotechnology education program with with you so I've been very impressed and um, thanks to Twitter we met so (laughs) so anyway tell us um, what's it's always a good thing to start with uh, you know how did you uh, get into what you do which is biotechnology education tell us something about your story
2: well, I had a chance, the opportunity to study in Mexico, where I major in um, biotechnology, but towards environmental issues. And while I was finishing the, <laughs> my studies, I realized I didn't enjoy that much the environmental uh, side. So somehow I started jumping more into botany, in, into actually bryophytes. But then when I started uh, digging a little bit more into biodiversity conservation, that's when I met with um, Wild Crop Relatives. And um, when I…
3: Is that an organization, <laughs> Wild Crop Relatives?
2: No, it's just actually um, a program uh, that it, uh, it's run by uh, this organization called Bioversity. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to, you know, put more emphasis and interest in these wild crop relatives that uh, can happen in a lot of these uh, mega-biodiverse bio- countries like Bolivia. And um, when I was getting ready to go into my master's degree, I had clear on my mind that I wanted to do something about uh, conservation of wild crop relatives. Okay. And because of that, I had to touch uh, things about, like, um, intellectual property Uh, transgenics. And this was like a a dark side for me because I have to confess that I was uh, sort of like an activist, but a passive activist. I I didn't voice my opinion so loud. But I was on the other side uh, thinking that, yeah, transgenics are bad, you know, transnationals and such and such, all these myths. And thankfully, I had the chance to to go and study at ASU. and that's where my
3: asu being arizona state university
2: and uh, that's right i'm a sun devil <laughs> <laughs> and that's when a lot of my professors they were very kind to correct me in the in the exact way like they were never judging me or pointing me my my mistake right away mm-hmm. so they were doing what any academic will do they were giving me information they would give uh, give me books some papers and so I had to review them. I had to sat down and read and realize that I was completely wrong. And I felt ashamed because uh, since I had a background in genetics and uh, biochemistry, I felt ashamed. I, th- I said, like, ah, I'm so dumb. I should have reviewed this information more carefully instead mm-hmm. of just uh, having the wrong idea. And gladly among my advisors, there was this um, Indian um, bioeconomist, and she told me, like, even the socioeconomic issues in India uh, with the BT cotton producers. So that was like a, a whole change in my, my, my set. Mm-hmm. And um, I finished my master's degree over there. I come back to Bolivia where it's very complicated to find jobs in, in science field. And that's when a friend starts telling me that they need somebody to work with uh, biosafety. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, aware that I knew more now about the uh, GMOs and all these things, patents and all the stuff. And I think he he had in his head that I was still on the other side, you know, mm-hmm. opposing all those all, all of that. So he challenged me and he said, "Would you like to have this position? Why don't you send your papers?" So I sent my papers. I present myself into the environmental ministry, and I think nobody was. <laughs> Nobody wanted this job, this position, because it's so polemic, it's so controversial that everybody was just rejecting it, Mm -hmm. and I took the challenge. I enrolled the the ministry as a biosafety regulator, even though I was not even trained for this, but I had, you know, just like a ground, a basic ground, and during this time, uh, which was not that long, actually, it lasted a little bit lower, a little bit less than three years, I had the opportunity to get some training in uh, Costa Rica with the it's uh, ICA, called in Spanish, it's the Inter-American Cooperation, Agriculture Cooperation Institute Institute. and that's actually the the main place where I started training on uh, becoming a regulator and I have to thank a lot uh, the persons that actually helped me there, a lot of people that you actually know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's it. That's when mm-hmm. my, my whole view completely, completely changed mm-hmm. because then I, I got committed myself to say people is not getting well-informed. People mm-hmm. is having the wrong ideas. They don't understand. And they are creating all these stories that are um, actually just creating fear. Yeah. So among well, my, my, my colleagues in the ministry, I had also to start uh, educating them because they, all of them actually had the, the wrong ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting from my boss and, and eventually we had to have uh, this long talk where she she's still a skeptical by <laughs> today mm-hmm. but she trusts me a lot mm. so she says like okay I, I think you wouldn't put your hands on fire for this technology if it was not safe so yeah. i'm not 100 percent convinced but yeah. i still trust what what you're telling me that yeah. it, it's okay Yeah, yeah. We were
3: before we started our interview. We, we, you and I were commenting how you were somewhat like the the Mark Linus of of Bolivia. And um, for those listeners who don't know who Mark Linus is, he's a a former uh, activist uh, opposed to GMOs. And, and also was very active uh, uh, in fighting for action on climate change. And he 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 took uh, – he's famous for this. He took the same approach to uh, genetic engineering. He said, you know, I really have to – if I'm telling people they should look at the science on genetic engineering, I, I should be willing to do the same on – or the science on climate change. I should be doing willing to do the same on genetic engineering, and he's he, he he's lost friends as a result, and, and um, yeah, <laughs> sounds like you have too. Yeah,
2: yeah well, I don't get along uh, well that good anymore with uh, a lot of biologists mm. who they have now reject me because they say like, oh, maybe you are paid by all the transnationals, you know, mm. you're a Monsanto girl, something yeah. like that, I'm mean, like, I wish yeah, they yeah. would they would give me the check. Like really, I'm I'm waiting for it. Yeah. And um, we have gone into arguments with some biologists here in, in Bolivia, and it's astonishing for me because these people have a, even a PhD, but yet they, they make the same mistakes that I, I use or I was making in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me also to understand what's. What's the obstacle for them to open their eyes mm-hmm. and to understand that it's not just uh, a transnational issue, it's not just a privilege for the big countries, that now it's possible that, for instance, if Bolivia had the the setting and uh, the will to do it, we could be developing our own biotechnology. So uh, at some point, it actually it's uh, painful for me to see that my country has so much genetic potential, like we have... My advisor at ASU, she was envious about Bolivia because when I showed her just the endangered uh, wild crop relatives of uh, peanut, she was telling me, and these are just the the endangered species. What about the other species? Oh, it's even more. We have more variety. Mm -hmm. And she questioned me, like, what is Bolivia doing with all this variety? Nothing. Mm -hmm. We don't even have an industry on peanut here. Even Argentina is ahead of us, and Argentina has much less biodiversity than us in peanut. Mm-hmm. So that's very frustrating, because even our producers, sometimes they are uh, looking for other crops to rotate. And for instance, they suggest, like, we would like to use uh, peanut, but because we don't have uh, well-adapted varieties, we're not using it. Mm.
3: Well, so yeah, we've had uh, several days of discussion on biotechnology, and in all re- ramifications in our in our course that you've participated in as well. T- tell us about, give us an overview of the situation on biotechnology here in Bolivia.
2: I, I tend to joke with this because I say it's like a comic and tragedy uh, at the same time. Yeah. I had the opportunity actually to, to present this uh, situation in a poster in Guadalajara this year uh, with the ISB GMO uh, Congress, International Congress. And everybody was approaching, um, to me, mainly from the big uh, transnationals, you know, like Monsanto guys, DuPont guys, and they were very intrigued and asking, what's going on in Bolivia? Because you have a regulation, you have a a law on biosafety, you have uh, something that could start, you know, um, to guide the the whole country, but nothing is going on there, so so explain us. People also from Uruguay and Paraguay, which are our neighbors, uh, regulators, they would also come in and say, what's going on? So it seems like Bolivia had a good intention to start in 1997. We have our, our regulation for biosafety, mm-hmm. which is very similar to what the Cartagena Protocol actually has. And uh, by 2005, we have the first um, approval for soy, uh, glyphosate-resistant soy. Okay. Uh, the the trend, the, well, the event is from Monsanto, and that's the only uh, approval we have ever had. Mm. That one. Just one soybean, one event, Mm -hmm. 43-2. That's it.
3: But uh, but it's used in what percentage of soybean here in Bolivia?
2: Well, it's uh, now we're uh, starting the 11th year of using this Mm -hmm. event, and it's almost 99%. Yeah, (laughs) so it's
3: been very popular with the producers.
2: It's been very popular, but after 11 years, even producers now see the disadvantage of using just one event. Now they are starting to use, again, other uh, herbicides as well. So they are starting to feel this change or this bad handling of technology in their pockets. Okay,
3: so bad in the sense of development of weeds that resist the glyphosate application.
2: That's correct. And it's even worse because uh, we have a lot of small producers who actually benefited uh, from this technology more than the big ones, which is always the case. Mm -hmm. But now, because they don't have the, the whole information, they just see from the neighbor, oh, it's working for them, so I'm just going to apply. So it's this big mass of small producers who are not well-educated, and sometimes they misuse this technology, even though it's, it's something simple. I don't want to even imagine what's going on with the illegal event mm. we have in Bolivia, yeah. which is the BT corn, also known in Spanish as Betito. betito. <laughs> like a little BT. Yeah. <laughs> and um 3 i mean 4 4 to 5 years ago i think somebody brought the the BT corn here just you know because that's the type of corn they they grow over here mm-hmm. and when i was working at the ministry it was already reported or uh, an estimated of 30% of this production illegal BT corn nowadays we are hearing that it it's Forty percent, or even fifty percent, of the corn that is grown here in this part of of Bolivia—that is uh, illegal Bt Mm -hmm. corn—and what I've told you, I'm not afraid if big producers are using it because they know they have the training, they know how to use this technology. But I'm afraid of the big number of small producers that they don't know how to handle this technology, and apparently they are starting to have these problems, you know, like insect resistant. Okay. So that, in the end, it's going to be more harmful for for our producers in general.
3: Okay, so yeah, so your concern is the use of uh, BT corn by small producers who may not really fully understand the concept of refuges, for example, to reduce the buildup of resistance. Yeah, is going to lead to um, the the loss of the effectiveness eventually. Yeah, I understand.
2: And probably what's even uh, (laughs) something that nobody understands is how come we don't have disapproval or this regulation uh, working for this type of crops? But yet we're importing a lot of food. Among other, uh, other things, mm. last year, for instance, we had a, a bad season for corn. We even had the, the worm that attacks the, the corn. Most producers lost actually all of their production. Yeah. But the funny thing or the <laughs> angering thing, I really <laughs> feel uh, upset about this, is that the government accepted to import corn from Argentina.
3: Which is going to be gen- genetically engineered. It's GMO. Yes. Yeah.
2: So instead of benefiting our and helping our producers, we're helping Argentina producers. Ah,
3: interesting. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's been striking, as I've learned here in Bolivia, in my visit here in Bolivia, about the situation with corn, BT corn and its ex- apparent expansion, uh, even though it's not yet approved, it creates a real struggle because, you know, there are growers that, um, that really want to reduce their insecticide use. And, and I was told that um, in this what's called the summer season here in Bolivia, corn can receive two applications of insecticides. And in the winter season, it can receive as commonly six applications. And two is a lot, but six is, is even more. Um, am, I, am I in the ballpark with those numbers?
2: Actually, we even heard about some producers, uh, the limit is their pocket. <laughs> so if they know that they can still uh, put one or two more applications, they're going to do it. Wow. Just if they think that they can actually uh, recover some part of yeah. that uh, production. So we have heard um, in places here in Santa Cruz where they have even reached eight applications. Mm. Wow. Even ten at yeah. some points.
3: Yeah.
2: Wow. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's kind of a stupid. Like. If we could use uh, some biotechnology to help uh, this part of Bolivia, Mm -hmm. because I want to make it clear that Bolivia has three different regions, Uh, most activists oppose to this technology because they say it's a menace to our biodiversity, Mm -hmm. our crop uh, diversity in corn, and um, reality is that the corn that we produce here in Santa Cruz is mainly for industrial use. Mm-hmm. or to feed uh, all the chicken that <laughs> Bolivians <laughs> eat.
3: Animal feed or, or cornstarch yes. production corn oil. Mm-hmm.
2: It's, not a main, it's not meant to be for direct use. Right. So it's even a hybrid. It's not even a, a land race mm-hmm. that most people think that it's going to endanger. And on top of that, the valleys in Bolivia, which is in the middle of the country, they are protected by the Andean Mountain Range. So you have a physical barrier over there. Oh. And also the temperature barrier. Okay. And if we want to protect those land races, we can still do it. Like We mm-hmm. can put a lot of more emphasis on uh, what our producers in the valleys are doing. Mm. And in the end, I always tell people the real menace to our crop diversity is ourselves. Because here in the cities, in the, especially in La Paz, in Cochabamba, in Santa Cruz, the three main big cities in Bolivia, nobody eats native races maybe if you go to Cochabamba, which is the the Bali city you may eat during a year probably five to six land races if you're lucky and if you're this kind of weird person which is always looking uh diverse food but other than that we're Mm. not using them Mm. we're not encouraging our, our local producers to grow this corn we're not opening their markets so eventually sometimes they also get tired Nobody's buying me this corn. Why am putting more effort? Because sometimes these uh, local la- uh, land racers or native races, they have more plagues. So they have to do a lot more effort to produce them. So in the end, it's just us the problem. It's not the problem of, of GMOs. Mm.
3: Yeah, that's very interesting. So you've got um, ways to promote basically... What we refer to as coexistence and and that is the coexistence of different farming systems that may initially f- feel like they're they're um, uh, uh, diametrically opposed so yeah that's a that's very interesting and uh, Look forward to learning more about that, uh, either maybe in the program or, or in other opportunities. So let's take a break, and uh, we're talking to Cecilia Gonzalez from from the uh, Bolivian Institute of, of International Commerce, and she's a biotechnology educator and uh, really a keystone here in Bolivia for um, much information on this topic. So uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion.
1: Today, a note about auto wrecks Podcasts and happy endings. A note to the Talking Biotech podcast comes from Jenny from Bemidji, Minnesota. She says that she was listening to the Talking Biotech podcast while driving late on a snow-covered country road. She hit a patch of black ice and ended up losing control of her vehicle, rolling and landing upside down. She was unable to call for help, and she was unable to find her phone. But wherever it was, it continued to play the Talking Biotech podcast. She was trapped there for over an hour, cold but unharmed. Thank goodness for airbags. She wrote, I closed my eyes and listened to the podcast. Kevin and Paul kept me company until help arrived. She was able to enjoy two complete episodes of the Talking Biotech podcast and said that the soothing messages of science made a desperate time much more pleasurable. Thank you for letting us know, Jenny, and proud to be your podcast, Jaws of Life. Share your experiences or interests with us at talkingbiotech at gmail.com. And now, back to the podcast.
3: And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. Uh, This is Paul Vincelli, and we're here in Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia, with Cecilia Gonzalez, a biotechnology educator for the Bolivian Institute of International Commerce. And uh, welcome back, uh, Cecilia.
2: glad to be back here <laughs> and i hope you're enjoying your your stay here in santa cruz
3: i have in fact uh, enjoyed the food and uh, there's a particular restaurant i hope we get a chance to visit once more for the delicious grilled vegetables and meat that was served with it but uh, it, back to the subject at hand so um the, it, it, we i certainly appreciate your sharing um, your thoughts on bt corn which is, does not have yet uh, approval here in, in uh, Bolivia, but it is, there are instances where it's being used. And you have some very interesting insights. So tell us more about BT corn in Bolivia.
2: Well, because last year uh, producers had a bad uh, production, we, well, the government, not we. <laughs> the government allowed uh, to import certain amount of uh, corn from Argentina, and, of course, it was uh, BT corn, mainly for, uh, for feed and uh, a little bit for industry and uh, that importation has finished like no more
3: okay so it, no more would be allowed under the the legally uh, the
2: law. legally it's not allowed anymore
3: okay.
2: yet uh, the big association of producers here in santa cruz have detected that a lot of these illegal corn is still coming
3: mm-hmm. still and being shipped in from argentina
2: most likely from argentina and they have detected that uh it's it's not coming you know in little bags it's coming in containers or even trucks mm. so they are very afraid because uh, the last um corn season production it was it was really good for uh, for our producers and now they have this uh, very disadvantaged <laughs> com- uh, way to compete with the illegal corn that is it's coming from argentina and that's really bad for our own producers because finally they had a good season of corn they have now the product but they cannot compete with the cheapest price that is coming from argentina illegally so they were asking me what's the fastest way to detect if it's a gmo corn Mm -hmm. and now uh, (laughs) i'm assessing them on how to use the the stripes and uh, most likely they're going to start doing this uh, this work with uh, customs So they can catch people and Um, probably have an estimate of how much is really coming from Argentina illegally, not approved by the government, and how much is this actually hurting our own producers.
3: So they're uh, starting with those dipsticks that that, uh, are maybe available by several companies, but I'm I, I I think one of those is Agdea. I'm, I, I'm not absolutely sure, but yes. we, we do a lot of work with Agdea. That's why their name comes to mind. But um, anyway, yeah, so they're using these dipsticks to, for a uh, diagnostic test for uh, the, the BT traits. Okay.
2: But this actually comes uh, all together with a, a core problem that I have detected, and it's the the lack of a serious biosafety policy in the country.
3: Okay.
2: We may have this um, regulation from 1997, but it's old, <laughs> it's outdated. Mm-hmm. And on 2010, Bolivia changed its uh, even its constitution, which constitution actually doesn't uh, forbid uh, the use of GMOs. But it says in one of the articles, Article 409, I actually can remember now. <laughs> It says that uh, all these uh, GMOs should be regulated by law. Mm-hmm. And from 2005, when we had the, the only approval in Bolivia, probably there was some activity by the Biosafety by National Committee until 2011. And by some activity, I mean that they were just doing, trying to build their own uh, regulation and their own rules and probably build some protocols. But then, on 2011, because of activists uh, who were uh, accusing this committee that they were uh, very close to approve BT corn, their work was dissolved. From 2011 up to today, there's no activity in biosafety. Mm. While I had the chance to work in the government, I had some uh, experiences. Like, for instance, my boss wanted me to do uh, to monitor in the fields. Which was a kind of a frustrating activity because uh, fields here in Santa Cruz are actually quite big, yeah. but we don't have enough personnel. I, I didn't have, for instance, a, a car on my own, so I, a, a truck on my own, so I can go to the to the fields. Whenever they uh, put me to to work together with another technician from um, the what would you call the, the the guys that are in in charge of uh, doing the um, plant inspection, to just to you know hold. Uh, all the plagues that come
3: you mean a, like a customs officer the border patrol kind of thing
2: kind of but it's just for uh, food and uh, crops it's the service i i cannot translate it oh like.
3: a- aphis i'm, I'm yeah am I,
2: am it, I it, it okay. would it would be like an Aphis, but for bolivia mm-hmm. okay. i had to work close with them but they have their own agenda as well so by three in the afternoon the the technician would tell me well that's it engineer let's go back and i'm like i'm not even half done So it was also very impossible Mm -hmm. to do the monitoring. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when my reflections, personal reflections, are that this country lacks this uh, biosafety structure because it cannot be that one person alone (laughs) is in charge of monitoring, doing uh, registers, and everything. It's Mm -hmm. it's not possible. It's not even, (laughs) I don't know, it it doesn't make any sense.
3: Yeah, so... Um, In fact, I've talked to, I'm thinking back to your comment about the competitiveness issue and the disadvantage, basically, competitive disadvantage that uh, Bolivian producers are experiencing, um, corn producers. um, And and I've talked to several people from your uh, organization, some of the leaders who've been, um, and and in fact, a uh, departmental um, government representative who've been very concerned about this Differential in in um, competitiveness of the corn in Bolivia versus the corn in Argentina, Paraguay, or Argentina, presumably Brazil too, uh, because they just want a sort of a level playing field. And right now, the Bolivian local Bolivian producers uh, are not able to compete. So, yeah, and so you've been you've been talking about the um, the lack of a biosafety law, uh, and in fact, there there also seems to be. Um, You know, uh, some—I haven't run into it, but some pretty strident opposition here uh, in in the country to any any form of genetic engineering uh, in crops. Um, Is is, have I perceived correctly? And.
2: Well, actually, I would consider that you are quite lucky, and I'm actually very relieved that you didn't have to face any of our activists. (laughs) Because they can, as in many places, they can get very mean, (laughs) and they can start doing stupid things. Uh, For instance, the the local government here has a research uh, institution, and uh, last year they uh, inaugurated their biotechnology lab, and uh, these activists start, you, you know, graffitiing all the government, uh, local government uh, walls yeah. with uh, stupid phrases, you know, like, you are sold to multinationals, mm-hmm. transgenics are going to kill us. Mm-hmm. This biotechnology lab is not doing any transgenic. It's actually helping a lot of the producers who have a lot of plagues, and they're trying to guide them on how to handle these plagues and, uh, well, just not to, to overuse some... Uh, fungicides or anything like that. So it's kind of upsetting. <laughs> mm, yeah. So I was a little bit, I, I have to confess, I was a little bit afraid that we might go to, to to the class and you would see you know, people dressed up as corns and things like that, mm. and throwing us garbage and things <laughs> like that, so I was quite yeah. relieved. But I think that they are uh, awakened since um, my institution started doing these information campaigns. Mm. They are awake now, mm. and uh, we actually have, a, and we know this for sure, it's being confirmed by our <laughs> our contacts. One of their leaders is, is from Chile, mm. and uh, we think it's with uh, international money that he's been deployed to Bolivia <laughs> mm. to guide this uh, resistance mo- movement uh, mm. from activists. And actually, for instance, next week they're gonna have uh, like a convention or something like that. It's gonna be hosted by the, inter- uh, the Spanish uh, International Cooperation Agency here in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have uh, you know some talks. Supposedly they try to do it as well academic level, but in the end it's the same old lies from 20 years. Mm-hmm. I gave up somehow confronting activists because yeah. I'm, I'm actually tired. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my, my brains are burned by trying to, not even to argue with them, but just to present them information. Mm-hmm. Last year, I had the opportunity to have a debate on radio with, um, he's not per se an activist, he's more like a well-reserved person, he's actually very educated. But his business is organics, and he sells a lot of also uh, biological uh, predators, <laughs> which only big farmers can can pay. All our small farmers, for instance, they cannot pay that, that solution. So for them, it's more uh, affordable to use any of these technologies like BT or uh, herbicide resistant or even the new ones that are drought resistant and such. And during this debate, um, he was bringing me, you know, the same old lies, <laughs> And I was just doing a home run with each one because I was telling, "You're wrong again. Here are the, the the evidence. This is what's happening now." And uh, by the end of the program, I actually gave him a CD that I compiled with. It's over three hundred publications in general about GMOs, their safety, the uh, you know um, scientific academics' positions and such. Mm-hmm. So I gave him the CD and I made it public. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Here I'm giving you a lot of information which is going to actually open your eyes and can open your eyes. Do I have a commitment from you that you're going to review this information? Oh, sure, sure, I'm going to review it. Well, over a year has passed and he hasn't reviewed anything mm. because he has gone into debates with other agronomists and he still repeats the same mistakes. Mm. So that means that these people are never willing to learn they are never willing to actually find out if it's true or not. They hold very close to their um, <laughs> ideas. And for instance, now the fight here in Bolivia is that we're not going to allow BT corn because it's going to damage our, uh, our our own land races. And I'm dying to ask these activists how many <laughs> native corns you eat a year. Mm.
3: Well, I think, and I think your point about the uh, geographic separation that already exists is powerful. The um, and the uh, I think you mentioned something about temperature as well. Did you
2: temperature, humidity? I mean, conditions uh, in Santa Cruz are way different than in the valleys. Mm-hmm. So you don't only have the, the the physical barrier, but you have also the temperature, humidity, mm-hmm. even the species that are that uh, make company to. Crops, for instance, over there in, in Cochabamba are quite different. So mm-hmm. what are you afraid of? <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Well, since you and I both, I think, uh, have are free of conflicts of interest in this topic, and we're not doing this for any uh, special gift from any transnational or any other commercial Organization, so so maybe it's a good idea after after hearing about your you know the, some of the challenging experiences you've had, maybe it's a good idea to visit the question: what what is ultimately behind your motivation? Why do you do this? Why do you challenge yourself to to work on something that really can generate a lot of controversy in in the region?
2: What I I like to joke, I always say, well, I'm waiting the the day Monsanto rings my phone and says like you're hired. I'm like, yeah, that's gonna be the day. But and actually, of
3: course and of course, you're joking just for those who can't see body language on this podcast
2: I'm, I'm actually just uh, that, that's a good joke when, whenever I'm with people that I, I feel comfortable yeah,
3: and it relieves pressure I understand
2: but in the end it's actually this frustration of um, having been born in a country that has all the potential to feed all our people and not just feed uh, all our people with three things like we could have a a colorful and tasteful feast every single day. And yet we are limited to import food. I feel quite uh, upset when, uh, whenever I read some information, of uh, statistics information, and I find out that, for instance, here in Bolivia we have um, a traditional thing that is uh, called api. It's a hot corn beverage, but the corn is purple. And I wouldn't say it's like a national beverage or something like that. You know, it's something... More uh, related with uh, cold temperature places like La Paz or Potosí or even Cochabamba
3: the high elevation places
2: higher elevation places like mm-hmm. it 's very complicated. If We go out now and I, I, I want to invite you that mm-hmm. we're not going to find that easily here in santa Cruz mm-hmm. anyway it 's something very traditional for for some places in, in Bolivia, and we should be producing enough purple corn to uh, match this uh, this demand. Mm-hmm what i 've learned last year when when I was reviewing the statistics, we are importing half of the demand from peru mm. and i 'm frustrated i 'm thinking like this is not a big amount of purple corn we need in the country. How come we are not giving the <laughs> producing enough mm-hmm. it's It's shameful, and then we have these also superfoods or what people now is calling them the superfoods, starting from quinoa, going with Kanwa uh, kiwicha. We, all of these are in, incredible things that could be feeding our people and we're not using them quinoa for instance is grown here in in bolivia just in a, in a certain region in the uh, in between the salt, uh, salt flats in between uh, uyuni and um the other salt flat <laughs> right now i, I the, the name escaped and uh, it's grown into a monoculture first of all and i don't see any activists protesting this and second of all, it's um, the main market It's to export it uh, to Germany, Europe in general, mm-hmm. but Germany is one of the big markets. And and what,
3: what is the crop, I'm sorry? Quinoa. quinoa. Oh, quinoa,
2: okay. And um, of course, whenever you're exporting quinoa to Europe, they want it to be organic, <laughs> whatever organic means. Mm-hmm. But for instance, I was talking with some of the producers here in Santa Cruz, and I told them, have you ever exchanged some point of views with the quinoa producers? And they told us, yes, we have visited them and we actually offered them that we could transform one machine so they can mechanically harvest quinoa. Hmm. You know what? They rejected. I <laughs> said, that's stupid because harvesting quinoa is also breaking your 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 bones. You know, mm-hmm. you're bending all the time mm-hmm. and such. And I said, why? And they the people from Santa Cruz, they told me, it's the most uh, silly answer because they told us our people in Germany who is financing uh, the market so that we can sell in, in Germany, they told us that if we use a machine to harvest, it's not going to be organic anymore. Mm. And because of this, they are not going <laughs> to buy it. Mm. What's the result of this obsession to sell just organic quinoa? That for instance, my people here in Bolivia were not allowed to, to eat uh, freely quinoa. Why? Because the price is very high. It's incredible food. You have a lot of uh, proteins in, inside quinoa. Uh, I mean amino acids. Like you actually can replace it uh, instead uh, of eating meat, you can eat a, a good portion of quinoa. Mm. But it's expensive. Yeah. So people here in Bolivia, my people is feeding from rice, from uh, noodles, from uh, chatarra, what we call junky food, mm. but we're not feeding from kina, and um, the other one that I told you, tarwi, it also has like incredible nutritious properties. I told uh, one of the breeders like, uh, why cannot we grow more? You know, bigger scale tarwi. It has a lot of plagues. Mm. Mm. Do we have any solution around? And she's, mm-hmm. yes, we have some uh, native crops that are not the ones that are, we are eating. They have some resistance to some of those plagues. How could you put those into the, the, the crop?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So- <laughs> she's frustrated and she tells me, sure, I would like to use you know, transgenesis or something mm-hmm. like that. Why am I not doing it? Because mm-hmm. regulation is not giving me that chance.
3: Yeah. So your interest is in in uh, there are several aspects to to your sort of commitment to the Bolivian producers. And one is uh, h- helping uh, Bolivian grain producers be remain competitive against uh, competition from these mm-hmm. large countries in South America that like like Argentina. And and another is helping farmers in Bolivia and the region certainly uh, diversify by um, helping them produce. Uh, uh, large quantities of uh, crops that uh, may need some genetic uh, modification in some way to you know avoid uh, insect problems or disease problems so you really have diverse reasons for your interest in uh, biotechnology. It sounds like
2: but in the end, I will say my main goal is that anybody here in Bolivia, for instance, could have quinoa in their in their dish. Probably three times a week, mm. without that being a problem for their pockets.
3: Right. Okay. So affordable amounts of yeah, quinoa. Right. And, sure.
2: And not only quinoa.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And not only quinoa. I
2: would like them. Uh, I would like us in Bolivia, all Bolivians, us to eat quinoa, tarwi, isaño. I mean,
3: Your I, own crops.
2: <laughs> our own crops, yeah. and not just look at them and say, "Oh yes, these are traditional crops." Let's.
3: Let's send them to Europe.
2: Let's send them to Europe, or let's just keep pre- uh, producing them as we, u- we used to do it romantically, mm. thousand years ago. Yeah,
3: <laughs> so. yeah, interesting. Yeah, so really, ultimately, your your interest is in you, the Bolivians, Bolivian producers, Bolivian consumers.
2: <clears throat> well, it, it it resumes to improve the quality of life of us here mm. in Bolivia. Yeah, I have a lot of. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, a biological mother, but I have a lot of good sons and good daughters. Mm-hmm. And I feel frustrated because sometimes when I bring them home and I, I, I invite them all these products that are locally grown and are these native crops that are not well-known outside, but I, I like them. I enjoy it, uh, the flavor mm-hmm. and I, I like how I can mix it with other things. Mm-hmm. And they try it sometimes for the first time. Like uh, some of, uh, one of my goddaughters, she had quinoa for the first time at home with me. And I, I was thinking, this is this is stupid. Like, we are the supposed uh, diversity origin of quinoa. Why wh- one of my citizens here in Bolivia has never tried it? Mm-hmm. Right. And even farther, she thought, like, oh, I thought that was just, you know, for pigs or <laughs> cattle or things like that. <laughs> and the second thing she, she told me, like, I've heard it's kind of bitter. And I said, well, yeah, that's the saponin. I had to explain to her why is it bitter and blah, blah, blah. But then I explained that this processed quinoa, you don't have to fight with saponin. You can just boil it, mm-hmm. mix it with your vegetables, and eat it. So when she tried it, I said, like, this is tasty. Okay, do you want to know one more way to eat it? So I made like tortillas with some cheese with it. She was, you know, licking her fingers. Mm-hmm. And then she told me like, oh, where can I get it? Like, yeah, supermarket. some people sometimes in the farmer's market has it. But I don't think you're going to be able to pay it. And when mm-hmm. she found out the price, she was very disappointed. She mm-hmm. said, like, I would like to eat this more mm-hmm. often. Yeah. So that's actually, I think, my ultimate goal, that we can all feed better here in Bolivia, have better nutrition.
3: Yeah, and enjoy our own cultural heritage.
2: I see it. Sadly, when I came back from the United States, I was very surprised. I was astonished that most uh, young people here is eating a lot of junk food, like... Mm-hmm. Three, four times uh, in, during the week, they're eating hamburgers, pizza. Uh, we have a, a very stupid thing that is called salchipapa. Mm. It's a chopped uh, sausage mixed with a fri- French fries. And kids love that. Mm. So I'm frustrated. I'm thinking, like, we have so much delicious food, but people is is giving a preference for you all mm. this junky food. Yeah. Product of what's the result of all this? We are starting to increase the number of diabetics. Mm-hmm starting to increase the number of obese kids now i'm not talking about adults i'm, I'm talking about kids mm-hmm. and you know all those problems bring more problems mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. in the end that's my ultimate goal
3: yeah well thank you for sharing that that was a wonderful and unexpected twist of this uh, interview we we, uh, we kind of launched in with uh, just a very general idea of what we were going to talk about but it's been very interesting for me and uh We've had a great experience together here with this course, and a uh, boy, I have appreciated your presence because there have been many opportunities for you to interject uh, some important information that you bring and, uh, and added of course the part about the regulatory aspects uh, today and just you've just been a great uh, hostess and uh, partic- and co-instructor so thanks once again for inviting me here to uh, Bolivia.
2: Well, I, I want to thank you. Dr. Paul, because it's it's really been a great experience. I never in my dreams ever thought I was uh, going to share a stage with uh, <laughs> this kind of researchers. And I actually have to thank uh, not only you, but all the, these researchers that are involved into, Bringing the information out to society because I actually learn from each one of the of them, like everybody is always teaching me something even though they don 't know <laughs> but somehow i 'm learning from them i 'm learning from their techniques i 'm learning from how they do it, and i 'm um, trying to build as well my own uh, my own style on this and uh, For me, I feel privileged to have these opportunities i 've had last year the opportunity to meet uh, Francisco Aragao from Embrapa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Wayne Parrott. Yeah, from Georgia. Yeah, so I feel I'm 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 in the middle of the elite people of biotechnology. So yeah. it's a great pleasure for me to collaborate. Well, wonderful.
3: You're one of the elite. So and, and, and I learned that this week. This week. So, uh, thanks once again for joining us. And um, uh, and uh, it was good to have you.
2: Well, thank you all. And um, I would like to uh, to take the advantage now that to invite anybody to come to Bolivia anytime. Uh, We have a lot of young kids who are also eager to do some research, and hopefully at some point uh, any of you can help to train them and to form better scientists for Bolivia.
3: Sounds good. Thank you. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us as we uh, spoke with Cecilia Gonzalez, a biotechnology educator for the Bolivian Institute of International Commerce here in uh, Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia. And uh, we look forward to you joining us uh, in future podcasts. Thanks again for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science.